I'm Orv Kimbrough, Chairman and CEO of Midwest Bank Center, St. Louis's second largest privately owned bank. We are the proud sponsor, Form Focus, because when we dream big, we all rise together. Welcome to Forum Focus, the podcast, Construction Forum. I'm Tom Finan, the Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Forum. On Forum Focus, you'll hear the stories of stakeholders in the St. Louis region's built environment. They're working to create inclusive, robust employment and economic growth. Forum Focus is diverse, it's unbiased, and it's civil. Everything about Corey Elliott, CEO of CMT LLC, resists labeling. She's black. She's a woman. She's a roofing demolition and abatement contractor. But she's also a St. Louis native with two master's degrees from Washington University. She was a top facilities executive of the major healthcare organization. In this edition of Forum Focus, we'll hear Corey's unique perspective working first as an owner's representative and now as a contractor in the MWBE world. So uh, you and I have talked some over the years uh, with a background in healthcare and two master's degrees. How did you decide to become a roofing contractor? Originally, uh, I was going to be a construction manager, general contractor. Okay. And that tied directly into a lot of what I was doing um, in right, healthcare. Right. I was VP of operations uh, with SSM Healthcare um, here locally in St. Louis, but in also two of their other markets. And whether it was in the St. Louis, St. Charles area, Oklahoma, or Chicago, um, construction, renovation, facility upkeep was always a part of my um, area uh, of, of my span of control. And so I just really started to enjoy mm -hmm. the construction side of it um, okay. a lot more at that time than the healthcare side of it. And I was at an interesting transition in my life on whether or not I was going to stay and remain in the St. Louis area or, or leave and go somewhere else. And really, for a lot of personal and professional reasons, decided to stay in the St. Louis market and start CMT. Um, originally, we found the niche in roofing um, and started with roofing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, now that's probably about 15, 20% of my overall revenue. For so primarily demolition, so demolition would be first. Revenue? Demolition is about 40%, 45% of our revenue. And then abatement remediation would be second then roofing would be third, and then final clean would be fourth. So uh, what are big projects that you're working on? Projects that so 300 South Broadway, Delmar Divine. We will be uh, starting uh, phase two of YMCA. We did complete phase one prior to that. Uh, so this is the one um, that was originally with HBD. Um, yes, the, the phase one was completed. Um, phase two was supposed to start, uh, I want to say April or May of last year, but with COVID, it was pushed back pretty significantly. So they're like everything in downtown St. Louis, they're turning those into 
loft mm-hmm. and retail. So the old YMCA okay. and the loft. So, how did you think this was going to go when you got? Well, you said you thought you were going to be in construction management. So, and I've read a little bit, and we've talked over the years about the money issues and some of the other issues dealing with owners. If you knew it was going to be this hard when you got in, do you think this is the path you would have taken? <laughs> no, but I, but I wouldn't have. But I wouldn't change the journey. Um, I, 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 you know, hindsight. You know, always being twenty twenty, there were a lot of things that you know I I, uh-huh. I I didn't know that I didn't know. You know, I was always on the owner side, and so you know, and so the general contractors and the subcontractors that you know I worked with were all fantastic. Um, there are definitely things I would have done differently. You know, had I had I known, you know, I would never have two or three hour uh, project meetings every <laughs> week ever again. Uh, if I was an owner, if I was an owner, but, um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, I've learned a lot. Uh, hopefully I don't make the same mistakes more than once. Um, you know, I've, I've met some wonderful people. Um, you know, it's been ups, it's been downs, it's been ebbs and flows. And right now it's been great. Okay. With, with, uh, well, uh, CLF and now with rise on, uh, so you're, you're a women-owned company and you're a minority-owned company. And one of the issues has obviously been financing for uh, cash flow for companies. But you bring a lot more to the table than that. And yet some of the things I've read, you've had just a horrendous time getting funding. This right. Well, funding, access to capital, as I tell people, is, is my, is, has continues to be the number one issue. And, you know, and everyone always talks about programs that are out there and, you know, the, the, the ways to help, you know, but it's not, you know, 12% money, 10% money, you know, isn't really helpful, you know, to grow a, a, a business if my competitors are able to get 2 or 3% money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even with, you know, contractor loan fund, you know, the timing of it, the, the underwriting of it, you know, was, was you know, it wasn't, and then, and then it was still 6%. And mm-hmm. so what I've always said, whether it was a rise or, you know, a contractor loan fund, that this should be really a loss leader, you know, that if the goal, if the goal is really to grow the capacity of minority and women-owned contractors, you know, cover the cost of the program, not make a profit off of it. Right. And again, even at six percent, when my my you know competitors can get three or two, you know, or even with bonding, you know, can get a quarter for a bond. So why do you think that? Do you think that it's that we say we want to help, but we turn it over then to a conventional? Yeah, I I, I think that the intent is good. Um, I you know I I will not knock anyone who has tried. Um, I think the intent is good. I think that somewhere along the way, it gets lost in translation. And a lot of times the people that are sitting around the table making the decisions aren't people who've actually owned companies, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, to to take, and, and I'm not talking about any lender in general, but to take three or four months to tell me yes or no, well, you've missed my season. I've missed the project opportunity. 
and 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 you know this you know the, the by union law the requirement um you know my team is paid every friday by right. now so regardless of that you know that decision that comes three or four months later and so you know it's just I've always said that it needed that the contractor loan fund or something like that, you know, really needed to to be something that you know was not revenue generating, and it, it always continues to be revenue generating. We'll return to our conversation with Corey Elliott after this message from Construction Forum. Tell me how you're doing. Tell me how you're doing. It can seem really overwhelming when you hear construction called essential. Most of us are not built to tough our way through all the problems and stress created by a pandemic like COVID on our own. Guess what? You don't need to. Our industry and our region have come together. Financial, mental, and physical health and other resources are available. If you or someone you care about are considering self-harm, text HELP. For more info, go to tellmehowstl.com. Let's return to our conversation with Corey Elliott. What I say is that you're asking, you know, on all of these large projects, you are asking the uh, companies with the least amount of leverage to carry these projects. And I don't know why, you know, owners and developers, you know, and even DC to a point don't see that, you know, that if it is different to hold 10% retainage for a year, you know, on a million dollar project for a company like mine, you know, than a company, you know, you know, you know, then a much, much, much larger company with, a larger line of credit and larger access to gas. And, and typically when these projects are started, those projects are also funded. So it, it you know, so add, adding things like retain held until the end of a project. And again, for me as an abatement contract, I'm first in. So a project that's going to last two, three years, you know, uh, and then I get the 10% that, you know, again, on a million-dollar job, you do the math on that. That's profit. Um, okay. Yeah, so that, 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 that's interesting. So would you have changed, like you said, you would have changed the way you did some things as an owner maybe too, knowing what you know now? Absolutely. I would have paid. I mean, going back, you know, I, I just remember because Alvarese was, Alvarese and Lawrence Group were the, the architects and, and, uh, and interface. Those were the companies I used. 90% of the time when I was in healthcare and um, you know, I would have pushed at pay apps a little faster, you know, again, I would not have had, you know, two and a half, three hour weekly project meetings on projects, you know, it just, because a lot of those subcontractors that were sitting there, you know, they were like me, they were owners and they had other projects. They needed to go bid and walk and do all of those things. And that two and a half hour listening to every other trade, Say what they were doing on a job, it just wasn't necessary. Those things would probably be about fifteen minutes now. <laughs> if I if I were in that role again. So. so here's a funny question. Do you think um 
COVID and Zoom is, is actually maybe helped in that department Absolutely. at all? Absolutely. And I hope that, I, I hope that some of that continues, you know, uh, we can hop on a call and talk, uh, we can hop on a video and talk about something. I pull up the plans, they pull up the plans, you know, and we can get something done very quickly. You know, I don't have to drive, park, then have the meeting, drive somewhere else, park again. We've also been able to bid um, a couple of things COVID has helped us. We've also been able to um, get in front of a lot more people because we can hop on a video and, you know, and, and, and present. Um, and then also uh, estimating um, has been a lot more efficient, ironically, um, through COVID. There seems to be still this exercise in this town of putting numbers to what do you think is to really build an inclusive uh, climate in the, in the contractor arena and then take it down to field level? And you've seen both sides of it. That's partially what you're I, I do. I do see both sides of it. And I will say this. Um, I have had, I, I think that the goals and the numbers to meet, um, set up an adversarial. And what I say to people who say that to me, then don't use me, right? Because what I am looking for is really collaboration and partnership and long-term relationships. And so if the only reason that I am being utilized or used is to meet a goal, then that, that isn't going to be a relationship that feels like partnership and is and is a reciprocal relationship. They feel like they're giving something up. I mean, I've literally had a contractor say to me earlier and earlier in this ninety, you know, um, I I at that time could not perform a two million dollar project, and so I brought it, you know, to another to partner or you know team with me in some way, and you know and and. He said, well, I can do that project by myself. Why would I give you 25% of it, right? And I said, well, one, it's a project I'm bringing to you. I said, and you're performing 75% of it. So, you know, right? But it's that, it's, again, it's that relationship. And then the other piece of that uh, with the goals and the requirements is then at times, which unfortunately I've had that experience, where then it's a forced marriage, I call them, you know, those arranged relationships, but there's no, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing contractually that um, hurts or helps the majority contractor for partnering, you know, for being a part of the forced marriage. So, uh, so basically, like a, a company could make a million dollars and my company could go out of business and there's nothing on either side to really incent. Well, there's nothing on that side to incent that majority contractor to make sure that I don't go out of business. And so I've seen things like that. But then on the positive note, I've also seen, um, you know, mentor uh, mentee relationships. I actually have a great one that was through um, Amron, um, where, you know, that company and I, we, it does feel more like partnership. At times, I'm their sub. At times, they're my sub. Um, and we work 
well together. We also work on projects without each other. If there's something larger um, or or super, super detailed complex, or they're a, a, over a billion dollar company. So technically it's something that they've seen or handled that I can tap in and ask those questions. And it's been, and, and, and those work well. Again, the force ones don't necessarily work well. And then if the goal is the goal, then what I say a lot of times to like these diversity and, and procurement people who are responsible for making sure the goals are met, then take the work and directly connect it with the companies that would meet the goal. I mean, if, if you know that you, I'll just yeah. pick the city of St. Louis. If the city of St. Louis spends $10 million on abatement, a year and your goal is you know is 25 percent then go find those companies let those companies you know bid on that work first and then put the rest of it out you know to the other right there there are more unique ways to do this instead of always putting the onus really in a lot of ways on our competitors to come find us if that makes sense. But, I mean... Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. It was... I mean, and I I, I know we're still doing faxes someplace, and you're getting... You're on somebody's right. list. Week before you well, or or you'll get a call you two days before a bid's due, and, hey, can you bid this? You know? <laughs> You know, um, or seven days. And, you know, some projects, you know, we, we've been talking about them for months. You know, we've been, you know, we've done a, a few walkthroughs on them before we put pen to paper. And so, you know, the the phone calls or the looking in newspapers to find things, you know, it, there, again, there has to be a, there, there, uh, there has to be an easier, more deliberate way of, of doing. I mean, and I get the sense that you didn't go in this to be a minority or a woman construction. You went into it to be in construction, like construction, and had the skills to do it. That, That's that correct. That's correct. And and I can tell you, um, when I started this, you know, when I started this, you know, um, I hired one of my uh, directors of facilities from healthcare to come. And, and do this with me and you know and good or bad uh because of that hire you know it took me three years to get certified you know even though i could prove that i i was his boss you know um <laughs> that i had you know that i had done you know the construction project and all of that it took it took three years um to get certified um and in some ways in hindsight i don't know why i pushed so much because, because you know, as soon as I did get certified, you know, minority, you know, woman-owned, you know, company, then it was, well, can you do the, you know, there were all these questions about, well, do the work or, well, you know, well, did your husband start this? Did your dad start this? Well, how do you, you know, and it was, it was interesting to me that, you know, for three years, those weren't questions. I never, I never came into this or anywhere else, you know, to be the best you know, minority vice president healthcare person, you know, I never, you know, I, mean, I, 
I, you know, whatever I do, whatever I pursue, you know, I do it with excellence, regardless of what color of my gender. Um, and I want people to work with us because we do good work. Um, and fortunately, um, the reason why I think that we continue, you know, in this market um, and continue to thrive in this market, uh, when I'm, I can tell you a lot of other companies would have closed doors <laughs> some years ago, right. um, is because we do do good work and we are people that stand by, you know, what we say we're going to do. Um, and, and our, you know, and we're, and we're consistent. The inconsistencies have been related to things like access to cash, you know, access, you know, the ability, you know, to get the, the tools and equipment, you know, and things that we need, you know, to be competitive or the, you know, the constant, you know, things like the requirements for joint checks and bonds when other, you know, you're not required to do those things. Those are the things that have slowed us down, not not our team or, or, or the quality of our work. Wow. So tell me about what took you to this path. Growing up, uh, you grew up here, you grew up someplace else. Yes, yes. Yeah, I grew up, I'm, I'm born and raised in St. Louis. I grew up in University City. You know, I tease people. I've left. Uh, several times, and I tease and say that the arch mm. is a magnet that sucks you back. <laughs> uh, but I, no, I grew up. I grew up in a very uh, diverse part of of uh, of of University City. Um, I went to. Uh, well, I always say that um, the high school question doesn't answer anything okay. about me because I went to three <laughs> uh, at Mary Institute, right. and it was Mary Institute at the time. Okay. Uh, near, nearing, and then uh, graduated uh, wow, Roosevelt High School. So, uh, it's a, that's what I said. You don't know my socioeconomic status. <laughs> you don't know my religion. Marianne, yeah, none of that. <laughs> none of those things. That's a path. Right. I started with SSM. Actually started, yeah. actually my first job in healthcare was with DJC, which is ironic, but uh, it was my first job, and then uh, moved to Oklahoma City uh, when, well, SSM still has hospitals there, and then came back to St. Louis when St. Charles actually was its own market, mm -hmm. so I was in the St. Charles market, and then Chicago, and then back. Chicago was SSM, and it was actually, um, um, we did a $33.5 million construction project while I was up there and you know in hindsight it, it really did prepare me for my for my for my company mm -hmm. because I said if you can do construction in Chicago wow. <laughs> you can do construction anywhere um, and 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 actually wow. um, right now I'm actually working on a return uh, to the Chicago market uh, for construction um, and, and we can all thank Bob Clark for that, honestly. It, during COVID, Bob, um, every Monday, worked with oh, a group okay. of minority women contractors and, you know, listening to the opportunities that are in that market um, and, you know, building relationships through, you know, that, that over that year of being on those calls. Um, actually, there's significant opportunities up there for my company. To anybody and, I, and I was actually yeah. teasing 
Um, I was up there last week and I said, wow, I have to drive. I said, I drove nine hours to get business in St. Louis. Go figure. (laughs) You know, he also opened up, you know, anyone on his team for any kind of help that anyone needed. And so, you know, I'm a person, if you say that, I'm going to, you know, hear you. So I I worked with his CFO on things. I worked with his marketing team. I worked with his IT uh, team on some things. I mean, anything that really that I've asked, they have helped with open arms. So it's been a good And St. Louis for me is is still a very, very, very viable market. Um, and it will it's still home for me. Um, and so our goal in this market is to uh, really uh, double in the next 18 months. Um, and then also um, start adding, it, it's, it's time to start looking at what's the next division. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Corey Elliott on Forum Focus. Big somebody, big somebody.